0: Hey there travelers, I'm Isabella. I'm Riley. I'm Angelica. And this is True Crime International. So Isabella, where are we going today? So today we're headed to the county of Suffolk in England. But before I start, I want to say something. Uh, By the time this episode goes up, our first full-length Patreon episode will be live. It is on an 80-year-old unsolved case out of China. And China cases are really difficult to do because there's a lot of censorship. But this case just had so much information. It's really awesome. And if you want to listen to it, you can join our Patreon we only have one level right now. It's $5 a month. So if you can spare that, we would really appreciate it. We would love to see you over there and hear your take on the case. That case was really
1: crazy. It was like mind boggling.
0: Yeah. Researching it was, a, was nuts. <laughs> on December 2nd, 2006, a body was found in a brook in Hintlesham near Ipswich. The body was of a young woman and though she was naked, she had not been sexually assaulted and she had been strangled to death. The body was later identified as Gemma Adams, who was a 25-year-old sex worker who had last been seen in the red-light district of Ipswich on November 15th. Gemma had been a happy and popular child who grew up in a middle-class family, but she fell in with a bad crowd as a teenager and became addicted to drugs. At the time of her death, she had lost her job at an insurance company and was using prostitution to finance her drug habit. But her family didn't know about any of that. Six days after Gemma bought Gemma body.
2: Also, when you said Hintlesham near Ipswich, I was like... No, I thought she said a broken Hintlesham. I was like, what is a Hintlesham (laughs) and why is it broken? I'm so confused.
0: Six days after Gemma's body was found, on December 8th, another body was discovered at the Dock Mill downstream from the brook where Gemma had been found. Like with Gemma, there was no evidence of sexual assault, and actually, the cause of death couldn't definitively be determined in a post-mortem. This was the body of Tanya Nicole, who was actually a friend of Gemma's. She had last been seen in the Red Light District on October 30th, and she was just 19 years old. Tanya had left home at 16 and went to live in a hostel. Like Gemma, she was using prostitution to fund her addiction to cocaine and heroin. She had worked in a massage parlor for a bit, but was fired due to suspicion that she was using drugs. And unfortunately, like Gemma, Tanya's mother had no idea of Tanya's work, instead thinking that she was a hairdresser.
2: I'm just like, wait, wait. sorry you you want to go ahead first, finally. No, mine mine is a stupid oh, question. Okay. okay, um, I'm just as someone who is like. Employ- like, had people in their employ. I can't imagine just firing someone and not, like, checking in on them first. Like, I can't imagine not doing that. It's just frustrating think- to me that this happened.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of places aren't as personal or personable for lack of a better term, like like you are very hands-on in a way. Yeah. And that you, ca- you care about the people that you work with and you, you care about your employees and you want them to succeed and, and do good things. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times that just isn't the case.
2: Yeah, for sure. I definitely wish things were handled with more compassion than they are.
0: I believe she had been warned that if she didn't kick the drug habit, she was going to be fired gotcha
1: which I mean I can understand 100%, but I'm wondering if like if if they would have continued to maybe check in at least like one person that she worked with if something could have could have been different.
0: Yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean she was friends with Gemma and they they had become friends there and at the time I don't think Gemma was working at the massage parlor anymore either. So she she gotcha. did have a friend, but unfortunately, her friend was also addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. and so it's hard to get each other out of that sort of situation,
1: yeah, definitely. also, um just a question because I I, th- I feel like this is one of those questions that like I should know the answer to, but I don't, so like now I'm afraid to ask you know those types of questions. Red light district is that like there's one of those in like every city? Or is it just like a common
0: term? Like I I mean, it's not like it's not like a Chinatown sort of situation. Well, yeah. But most cities have some sort of red light district, some sort of place where you can go and where prostitution is prevalent and very common. I wouldn't say that every city okay, so in the red world light, has it. Red light
1: infers prostitution yeah i didn't know if it was just like a place where there was a lot of crime maybe no red light
0: infers prostitution
1: oh my gosh okay see, so i never knew that i where did you learn that because
2: where
0: was
1: i supposed to learn I mean, that? it's
2: uh, in a lot of movies but i, don't I know. can't i can't miss those boobies
0: but um, i know that in amsterdam their red light district is actually very famous and people go there as like a tourist attraction my aunt went there once because she was in amsterdam for work and uh there uh, when you walk past these brothels cuz it's it's legal there um women like stand in the windows like they're mannequins and like pose to try and entice the men and my aunt made the stupid mistake of laughing and they just like lost it at her she had to run out of there
2: yeah <laughs> on that street my God. um i I have two really relevant things to say about red light districts. One is I read an article that, like, said uh, specifically about Ipswich prostitutes. Like, people would come there and it was a really, really big deal. Like, men wanted to go there specifically. I don't know when specifically they did do that. Like, I don't know a specific date, but I know it was still happening during this time period. Also, gotcha. like in relation to red light districts, when I went to Italy, and I went to Pompeii, um, Pompeii, like the streets had, um, you know how like sometimes there's little arrows in the street, like leading you mm-hmm. places. In Pompeii, instead of arrows, there would be like little. Dick figures in the stone <laughs> paths that like led you to the district. It's so funny. And then like there'd that be hilarious. menus that the men could like choose from. Like it'd be like this menu. And it's just so funny to me. The dicks are funny. The menu
1: freaks me out a yeah, little
2: bit. <laughs> definitely my my sentiments exactly. <laughs> but anyway, Bella, what as you were saying.
0: On December 10th, just two days after Tanya was found, yet another body was discovered in a wooded area near Nacton, which is just outside of Ipswich. All of these bodies were found just outside of Ipswich.
1: The names of of these places, I've just never heard any of them, and they're all catching me off guard. Every
0: single one. (laughs) Welcome to England. I chose this (laughs) case because it's specifically in Suffolk, and I cannot tell you how much of my life I have spent in Suffolk. <laughs> <laughs> because my grandparents live that my dad's parents, who have always they've lived in England my entire life, they've always lived in England. They live in mm-hmm. Suffolk. And so every time I've gone to visit, I've gone to Suffolk. And it's not fun. Like I'm sorry It's not if you're glamorous. From Suffolk. So, a glamorous place. So it's it,
2: like the it's like the
0: Ohio of England.
2: While <laughs> while you were in Suffolk, you're saying you you kind of felt suffocated. <laughs> <Angel>. <laughs> uh,
1: i wish people could see the look that angel has on her face she's every so proud time of herself she makes one of those jokes and then she'll like do a little dance <laughs> and you know what's coming too because she gets these wide eyes and she's like guys guys <laughs>
2: what if
0: (laughs) you get so excited because she's like oh my god i'm funny (laughs) (laughs) suffolk is very beautiful like there's a lot of countryside and the english countryside is gorgeous but if like if you're from suffolk you know that there's nothing going on there uh my parents and i always joke that as soon as you get to suffolk everything slows down and about eight times out of ten when you drive somewhere you will get stuck behind a tractor And the last time I was in England with my parents, we were driving uh, from Suffolk to Kent and my dad almost hit a bunch of cows in the middle of the road. Oh my God. He didn't. It was fine. He also uh, forgot about, like, he was was driving. He'd been driving for 15 minutes and he forgot to drive on the other side of the road. And so he, like, suddenly thought that he was on the wrong (laughs) side of the road and tried to get over. And my mom and I were like, what the fuck are you doing? Also oh, same the trend. joys of same day several hours later we'd we'd gotten to kent we visited the family member that we wanted to visit and then we were going to drive like the hour to london but we needed to get gas or petrol if you're in the uk and we've pulled up to the gas station petrol station whatever <laughs> and uh my mum said oh look the the diesel and the gas nozzles are uh, like the opposite color than they are in the u.s like in, in the u.s the diesel is green and or yellow yeah yeah and then the the gas is black in the uk it's switched and i heard her say this and my dad just did not listen and he was put diesel put, the car no he put gas in a diesel car oh god <laughs> i was just sitting in the back i was eating some mango just you know enjoying life and suddenly i hear oh fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> and i was like what the hell did you do and he told me that he just put gas in the diesel car and i was like well we gotta call someone do not turn on the car (laughs) and so we uh went inside and asked to use their phones because none of our phones worked there and they called roadside assistance but it took them two hours to get there and they just like drained it dry and then we were able to put diesel in it and uh the the guy that drained it was like do not tell the car rental company (laughs) just (sighs) don't say anything it was
1: fine that's so funny
0: Back to the story. So, December 10th, two days after Tanya, the next body was found. This was the body of Annalee Alderton, who was a 24-year-old who was last seen on a train from Essex to Ipswich on December 3rd. She had been asphyxiated and positioned in a cruciform. God. So, like, she was, a, like, crucifix yeah. position. Is asphyxiated a verb? Yes. To To asphyxiate somebody. Oh, I thought it was only, like, okay, never mind. I mean, as- asphyxiation is the noun. Asphyxiate is the verb. Okay, gotcha. <clears throat> Annalie was a mother of one, and she was pregnant with her second child. She had spent part of her childhood living in Cyprus and had been a good student in school, but unfortunately, her father died when she was 16, which led her to a drug habit. I'm not sure if she was still using it at the time of her death, but it is possible. Also, we don't know if she knew that she was pregnant because it was very early and her family didn't even know about it until the police uh, informed them after the autopsy. That's sad. Yeah, that's such a bummer. At the time of her death, she was living with her boyfriend, but he actually never reported her missing because he said that she had a habit of kind of going missing for a few days but would always come back. And when she left, she said that she was going to see her mother to buy some Christmas presents for her son. And uh, the mother did confirm that story.
2: Did she ever make it to her mom or no? I don't think so. This really reminds me of the Green River killings. Yeah. Um, And specifically what happened to like the main victim that like got that investigation started and her mother. Um, because like her boyfriend also like didn't really say what was happening and he wasn't helpful, but her and she was supposed to meet her mother, so it's very similar.
0: Yeah. The fourth and fifth bodies were discovered on the twelfth of December, just two days after Annalie. The bodies weren't done together, but they were very near one each other. One each other.
2: (laughs) One each other. (laughs) Same
0: the bodies weren't dumped together, but they were very near one another, just off of the A14, which is um, like a—it's a highway, but it's like a one or two-lane highway. Uh, which wasn't too far from where the body of Anna Lee had been found. A member of the public had found one body, and the authorities dispatched used a helicopter to kind of look around the area, and it was from the helicopter that they found the second body.
2: This is happening so quickly as yeah. well. It um, is five bodies in 10 days. That's
0: terrifying. Mm-hmm.
1: That's like the kind that like incites panic Yeah. in a place.
0: On December 14th, officials identified one of the bodies as Paula Clinnell, who was 24 years old and had last been seen on December 10th. Like the others, she had been naked, but not sexually assaulted, and she had been strangled. She had actually been interviewed on a local news program about the recent murders just before she disappeared and said that even though she was wary about getting into cars, she still planned on working because she just couldn't afford not to. That's so sad. She had had three children with her partner, but unfortunately, they had been taken from her and adopted due to her drug addiction. It was... Really, a cycle for her because she had been placed into care when she was younger, and it was there that she started taking drugs in the first place. Mm-hmm. The following day, December 15th, the final victim's identity was released to the public. It was 29 year old mother of one, Annette Nichols. She had last been seen on December 8th, and her family had reported her missing after growing concerned due to the other bodies that had been recently found. Her death was the same as the others naked, no sexual assault posed in a crucifix position. Her cause of death couldn't be specifically determined, but her breathing had definitely been impaired in some way. Like the other victims, she had had a drug habit which she funded through sex work. She had just completed beautician school when her habit began, and shortly before her death, she asked her mother if she would take care of her son and was staying with an unidentified man. So those are our victims. A murder investigation started right away, like even before they were all found because they, I mean, they were all found so quickly. And the police spent no time linking all five murders. I mean, they were so similar. It was pretty obvious that it was the same killer. Mm -hmm. I mean, the type of victim, the manner of death and all the locations were extremely similar. So they would really have to be idiots if they didn't link them.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, That's like some LAPD. Uh, I mean, the LAPD still would have found a way to mess this up, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. They codenamed the investigation Operation Sumac, and Chief Constable Alistair McWherter was quick to tell the public that they would be enlisting the help of the Metropolitan Police, as their police force was just too small and ill-equipped to handle the
2: investigation, because it was just getting so huge. I'm glad that they got more help. Though because yeah. I feel like in most cases it's so unfortunate, but when such a thing is happening to prostitutes, usually the police force just doesn't care as much. But I feel like in this case it's certainly helped by the fact that prostitution is legal here. Um, but still yeah. either way, I know it's really a toss up about like what happens, but I'm so thankful they actually got their act together. And I'm I'm thankful that like the bodies
1: were left in a place that they would be found because a lot of times when sex workers go missing and their bodies aren't in places where, you know, they're not easily found. They're these these missing people or missing person cases are just kind of looked over. Yes. Because they're sex workers.
2: Yeah. Exactly.
1: And, and and sometimes people it takes a while for people to realize that something's wrong and that they're gone, and then by that time, police are like, well, blah, blah. So I am really grateful for this.
0: Commander David Johnston of Scotland Yard joined the team, and they quickly determined that none of the victims had been killed where they were found. They had all been dumped in those spots, but they did not comment on where they thought that the women had been murdered. The investigation blew up, and by December 18th, they had over six hundred police officers working on the case across forty different police stations, and they had received over ten thousand calls from the public regarding the case. Like ten thousand people like saying that they knew something? Yeah, like tips or information about the victims or just like just ten thousand calls about the case in some way. And oh my this is word. by December eighteenth. Like the last yeah. bodies were found on the twelfth. Yeah. So they arrested the first suspect the same day, on December 18th, and they held him for the allowed amount of time, which is 96 hours, but they had to release him because they had no evidence, and they were like, yeah, this isn't the guy. Um, I can't tell you who he was or why they had him, because um, since he wasn't convicted of anything, he was just held for questioning. Uh, there's privacy, and so we don't know anything else. Yeah. The second suspect was arrested on the 20th, With this suspect, there was more evidence, and the police were given a 36-hour extension on his detention, and on the 21st, police identified the suspect as 48-year-old Steve Wright. So, who is Steve Wright? Maybe an uh, asshole,
1: douchebag, gross person.
0: Yeah. If I had to guess. You know, just (laughs) just throwing it out there. Yeah. (laughs) Steve Wright was born in Norfolk on April 24th, 1958. For those who are England Geography Challenge, Norfolk is uh, the county just north of Suffolk. Like Norfolk, Suffolk. You never told us where Suffolk is? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Suffolk is East England. The most easterly point of England is in Suffolk. I have been there because that's one of the things my grandparents thought would entertain a 10-year-old staying with them for the summer.
2: I'm sorry, (laughs) easterly? Is that? That's a word, yes. I've always heard people just say, like, the most eastern. eastern. Uh,
0: I mean, That's... I just always remember my my nan always said the most easterly point. It's a word, right? I gotta look it <laughs> up now. You're making me doubt myself.
2: It seemed right to yeah, me. I, mean, yeah, I didn't like, question it, it in sense. my head. I just have never heard it. Like, I'm sure it's a word. I just haven't heard it. Double
0: checking. Okay. Okay, it is.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's it's like uh, more like it depends where you are, like what people say. It's like one of those words. Yeah, I mean,
0: I've, I've never used it except when I talk about my having gotten to the most easterly point of England.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> my speaking when I am talking about England or I'm talking to my family in England or I'm in England is very different from the way I talk to you guys.
1: Yeah. Your vocabulary changes sometimes. Mm hmm. And you use words like easterly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my vocabulary when I'm around my dad's family in the UK, because all of my dad's family lives in the UK and they all have lived in the UK, in the, UK the their entire lives. My dad is the only one that's ever left. And uh, they have very strong Suffolk slash Kent accents. And like here in America, when we greet each other, we might say, hey, how are you doing? Or hey, how's it going? Especially here in the Midwest. It's a very Midwestern way to greet someone. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The hi, how are you? (laughs) Uh, But in that part of England, it's you're right.
2: You're right. I like that you Are
0: right? I
1: say that like, I say that like ironically to people. I'm like, you're right, mate. You're right. (laughs) But they
0: say that for everything. That's hello. That's how are you. That's um, just, you just say it because. Like you walk in the room and there's an awkward silence. So you say,
2: you're right that that's so much better than how you like how are you doing because like I you have to really work to answer that question and I hate to answer uh, that question so I feel like that's
1: what I find funny about that question is like in America everyone's like hi how are you and like you're not really like like it's just like a greeting and you just say like yeah I'm good I'm fine but like in Europe and other places, like you ask someone how are you and it's like you're actually supposed to mean it,
0: you know? You're right, it's not asking you how <laughs>
1: yeah, you actually yeah, no, are. I no. just want to clear that no, up. <laughs> no. But I mean like just in general, like I've like people that I know have talked about like, oh, like you say how are you just as like a greeting, but for us, like if you ask me how I am, I'm gonna tell it I'm gonna give you an answer on how I am. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean there's there, there is truth to that. However, like if you go to Spain, their way of saying, you're right, is, ¿qué tal? Um, mm-hmm. Other countries might say, ¿qué pasó? Or whatever. Um, but if you actually want to ask someone how they are, you're. it's better to say, ¿cómo estás? An actual, yeah. how are you? So they do still uh-huh. have a way of, like, greeting each other and, like, acknowledging someone's well-being without actually wanting to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's very interesting. Th- it's a very interesting thing that we do in language, and just like as human beings, like we ask someone how they are, but we don't actually care or want to know. <laughs>
1: but it's yes. it, 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 like in my brain, like sometimes when I say it, I'm like just like I'm trying to like actually ask someone because maybe they're like, I know that they haven't been like having a nice time lately, and I'm like, how are you? And like I expect it, but then other times
0: I'm like, oh, how are you? I mean, it's not that I never ask someone how they are and actually mean it. Yeah, same. no, no, <laughs> I, mean, I know. I worked in food service for almost seven years. I have, I, I meant my how are yous probably uh, a yeah. hundred <laughs> times
1: out because of every person, thousand, every person that comes up to the ahead. register is like, "Hi, how are you?" I'm like, "Good, how are you?" And they're like, "Good," and then they're, like, they're like, "I'll have a hamburger," and I'm like, <laughs> "You got it."
0: <laughs> you but got I never it. wanted my interactions to be more than that, unless it was I like. Know. Every now and then at the convention center where we worked, uh, there would be like some people that had a stall at the convention that would be really cool. And like when they came up, I would want to actually chat with them.
1: Like repeat customers, just like nice people.
0: We didn't have a ton of regulars there. So it was nice whenever there was someone that was cool that was there for a weekend or some people came to a few shows here and there.
1: Don't let it fool you, though. There were a lot of regulars that we hid from as well. (laughs) Yeah, there were a lot of regulars that you, when you saw them coming, you were like, "Oh no, oh no, here they come!"
0: I would just go back in the kitchen.
1: That's where I was most of the time,
0: anyway. I know I was up. I was up front way more than you guys, and I had my tricks to go hide.
2: The the interactions though will always make me laugh. Like my favorite is like when someone would be like, "So which is better, turkey or roast beef?" and I'd be like, "Hmm." Roast beef is delicious. I mean, <laughs> never had meat before in and my Angel life. And Angel knows
1: damn well that she does not
2: eat
0: meat. <laughs> I definitely did that too, just because I didn't.
2: I, didn't I wanted time. to make the conversation short. I was like, honestly,
0: I would. I, I, like, if they asked, like, which sandwiches were better, I would just tell them, like, whichever meat that we had more of that we needed to get rid of, that's the one I would recommend. <gasps>
1: Like, I'm not going to tell the customer that I've genuinely never eaten a hamburger from this place because it freaks me out. Like, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that we have good hamburgers.
0: (laughs) All right, let's get back to Steve Wright. So he was born in Norfolk, April 24th, 1958. He was the second of four children and his father was a military policeman and his mother was a veterinary nurse. Since his dad was in the RAF or Royal Air Force, Steve spent some of his childhood living in Malta and Singapore. Unfortunately, though, I feel like i said unfortunately 50 times so far in this episode. I'm sorry, my my vocabulary is not larger.
1: (laughs) Take a drink every time Bella says unfortunately.
0: (laughs) Steve's mom left when he was just eight years old, which is something that Steve never got over.
2: Yeah, so like Bella said, his mom did leave. And I just want to be clear, like his mom left with two of his sisters and I believe it was like a separation between the parents. So she didn't just leave for no reason. Um but still it's very likely that Steve had abandonment issues because of this. Um also one of the sources I read says that they had absolutely no contact until 25 years later when his mom he like his mom? Yeah. And his oh mom God. re-entered like his life and he just had no interest in her he wanted nothing to do with her and i like that was only one source but like it seemed pretty legitimate so i'm i'm sure it's a possibility um but we have to assume this is because he was still harboring all of these unresolved issues that centered around not having a mother figure for basically his entire life and maybe these issues led to his hatred of women. While this could have contributed in some way, most professionals don't credit it because there's plenty of broken homes that don't lead to something so severe. And apart from his parents parting, it seemed like nothing else really happened in his life that could have caused this. Like, his father said he wasn't abused at all as a child. Like, he did not have that much trauma that we know of um sometimes it's nurture sometimes it's nature but it's not always nurture yeah i also want to note that steve had a girlfriend who's named pamela during this time so he had relationships with women apart from his frequent use of prostitutes i feel like this is uh a common theme yeah in cases
1: that deal with prostitutes um, It seems like the man always is, like, married or in a relationship, and it's some weird sex worker thing, and yeah. it really
2: bothers me. Yeah, so Pamela was, like, quite a bit older than him, and his father said he thought, quote, he was domineered in that relationship. I wonder if it
1: was, like, a another abandonment yeah. mother issue exactly. type situation.
2: To me, his relationship with Pamela connects to his issues regarding his mother more than his killings of these younger women. So I, to be honest, I really don't think that's the root of whatever caused this. I don't think it has to do with his mom. I think his actual relationship he had was a lot more similar. So, and then there
1: was just something else going on yes. in that little brain.
2: Yes, yeah, and
0: also his his mummy issues. There's no, there's no excuse. Like, to me, it doesn't connect to the murders just because he had three siblings. Exactly. None yeah. of them are violent that we know of. I actually watched a documentary about this case, and his older brother was in it talking about how they grew up and stuff, and like he he's not a violent criminal. No. What's it's this normal dude excuse. you're of the mill dave
1: i don't know what his name is it's not
0: dave but i don't know <laughs> <wasn't paying> <laughs> if you want to watch that documentary it's on youtube it's like 45 minutes long it's a good watch they did a good job what's it called uh if you just type in Suffolk strangler it'll pop up
2: there's also okay. a lot of documentaries on this guy like you can yeah. find some
0: So after Steve's mum left, he and his siblings were raised by their dad, who ran a pretty tight ship because, I mean, Connie is a military man. In the documentary I watched about this case, Steve's brother said that Steve put on this easygoing persona. Because they moved around so much, Steve wanted to be someone that people could get along with easily. But few ever really knew, or, I mean, you could even argue that no one really knew what lurked beneath the surface, which only made his crimes all the more shocking.
2: Especially because it, like, it seems like for a long time, he, like, he didn't do anything bad. At least that we know of. So, like, of course people are going to be surprised because, like, this, this came out of nowhere.
0: When Steve was 16, he left school. And I know Americans are going to be like, that's weird. In England at this time, it's not, it was not weird. It was a totally normal thing to do in England at the time. My dad did it. It was really common. Like at 16, you were given the option to leave or stay if you wanted to continue education. So a lot of people who were not academically inclined, like Steve or even my dad, would leave and then go find like vocational training and stuff. My dad, when he left school at 16, he went and was an apprentice at a shipyard.
2: Oh, cool. Also, I feel like not that unusual for the time period in which he was 16, especially. Like, that wouldn't have even been unusual for America. Like, yeah, it's chill. People leave school sometimes.
0: After he left school, he joined the Merchant Navy and became very familiar with working on the sea. He ended up becoming a chef on some ferries that sailed out of Felixstowe, which is, again, near Ipswich. Uh, he did that for a few years. And in 1978, he married his first wife, Angela, and they had one son. They separated in 1987. And in that time, Steve worked a ton of jobs. Uh, I believe his favorite job was he was a steward on the QE2 or Queen Elizabeth II, which was this like international ocean liner. It's kind of like a cruise. Um, and he really enjoyed that job. And when he was a steward, they would dock in all sorts of different countries, uh, and he would definitely hit up the brothels in that time. So it was
1: like a travel like ship that people could like buy tickets for and like
0: travel to different places. Yeah. He also uh, was a truck or lorry driver. He was a pub landlord, and he was also a barman, he, so he worked a whole bunch of different jobs. Though he pretended to be this easygoing guy, his lifestyle was anything but. Not only did he frequent brothels, but he also had a serious drinking and gambling problem, and by the year 2000, he was £40,000 in the hole and declared bankruptcy. Oh my god. That same year, he tried to commit suicide for the second time in his life, an action which many of the investigators believed to be more of a cry for attention as opposed to him truly trying to take his own life but honestly we'll never know
2: yeah yeah that's like also like so often people act like that's just a cry for attention and it's just i think it's it really i think i think people also like make that
1: assumption based on like the method that a certain person chooses they're like, oh, they weren't really trying, you know? Yeah. In this but- instance, is- it
0: was pills. But the first time was uh, okay. he tried to use carbon monoxide.
2: Yeah. I just, it's always, should only be based on what the person says, I feel like. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah he hasn't spoken about yeah. it. So we don't know. Yeah. So his gambling problem actually led to an arrest in 2001 because he stole 80 pounds from the pub where he was working. 80 pounds. That's it.
1: I was going to say,
0: that's like. He's 40,000 pounds in debt and he steals 80 pounds.
1: Oh, <laughs> like, weird. what is he stealing it for? Like, that's 80 pounds. Like if it... I have
0: 80 pounds in cash when I go to the UK, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm so loaded, I can buy a whole bunch of stuff. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, 80 pounds is not a lot of money.
1: Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> not
0: if you have a 40,000 pound debt. My God. <laughs> so he stole 80 pounds. That's it. Like, that's really not a lot of money. And when he was arrested, they took his DNA to keep in the national database. And it's a good thing they did because if they hadn't, it's very likely they never would have tied Steve to the murders because they had some DNA from the crime scenes. And so the reason why he was arrested so quickly is they ran the DNA in the national database and Steve popped right up. Ooh, because he stole was that eighty pounds pounds worth it, dude? Was it worth it? That eighty pounds really did ruin his life. My goodness!
2: Thank goodness. I I just
0: I wonder what he was going to do with it.
1: Like, what was he going to do with this eighty pounds that he stole? Was did he do drugs?
0: Not that I know of. I mean, he had he had a drinking problem, but I don't know if he was addicted to drugs. Maybe he
1: maybe he wanted the eighty pounds to gamble it to try and make forty thousand.
2: I think he just had problems.
0: Yeah, he definitely just said problems. <laughs> uh, he was working in a bar, so I think he thought that oh, they won't notice if eighty pounds goes missing
1: because yeah, it was all cash. it doesn't cash. seem
0: like that much. Yeah, but they count. They count that shit. Yeah,
2: yeah. If that, you
0: are
1: a young person or any person who is working, and you think oh, I'm just going to take this money, don't, no, that, just
0: don't. It is counted every single day yeah. <laughs> down to like the cents. Literally, <laughs> the first job I had, I worked at a restaurant. And I worked the like register and stuff. And it was my job to count out the register every month. uh, Not every month, every night when I closed. Mm -hmm. And I had to check the balance with the totals for the night. And if it was anything more or less than a dollar, I had to explain what happened. Mm -hmm. And there was one time there was $50 missing. And I had no idea why. And my boss was like, Izzy. Where's that money? And I was like, I have no idea. I'm so sorry. I was 17. I was freaking out. I was like, I didn't steal it. He had like he had cameras uh, on the register, so he watched them, and so he knew I didn't steal them. So I didn't get into yeah. any trouble. He actually found that uh, one of the waiters had done something in the system to get the money, and that waiter was fired. Oh, that. Uh, um, and there was another time there was an excess of a hundred and fifty dollars. And he was like, where the hell did that money come from? And I was like, I have no idea. Extra zeros. <laughs> he, he looked into it the next day and he was like, yeah, I couldn't figure it out either. So we're just $150 richer. And I was like, thank God it wasn't negative $150. Yeah, I know, thank right? God.
2: Moral of the story is don't take money from your jobs register ever. No, they
0: will. F- they will find it. They will figure it out. You will get fired. It's not worth it. Exactly. And like you said,
1: there's always cameras, especially now too. Like all you have to all they have to do is look at the camera that's pointing directly at the register you were working at.
0: So obviously Steve wasn't put in jail for stealing 80 pounds. That would be ridiculous. They just uh I think they fined him and had to put his DNA in the database and just kind of send him on his way. The same year of his arrest, he met a woman by the name of Pamela, who we already talked about. And they soon fell in love and moved in together. In 2004, they moved to Ipswich, and Steve got a job as a forklift driver at the local docks. On October 1st, 2006, so less than a month before the women started going missing, yeah, they moved into a new flat very near the Red Light District. Around the same time of the move, Pamela's shifts got changed at her job and she had to start working nights, which pretty much killed the couple's sex life. So Steve started to go to the local massage parlors and he would drive around the red light district looking for sex. During one of his drive-arounds, Steve was actually stopped by a police officer who asked him why he was driving around the red light district and he was like, what? This is the red light district? I had no idea. I was just driving around because I can't sleep. (laughs) I was like, Yeah,
2: all right. And just let him go. (laughs) Yeah, it seems legit. I hate the way Steve puts things and says things because, like, this is a reoccurring thing where he's like, oh, I had no clue. I guess so. Maybe. Like, I cannot stand this man. (laughs) Cannot. But Steve was an
0: idiot. He was so stupid. He drove around always in his own car, even when he was picking up the victims. So when investigators searched the car, they found both DNA and fiber evidence linking him to the victims. But not only that, they had CCTV footage of him driving around the red light district around the time of the murders. So really, it was a pretty open and shut case. They had DNA evidence. They had fiber evidence. They had his car on CCTV come on yeah
2: uh
0: so even though this was a pretty open and shut case steve has still to this day never admitted to the crimes he admitted to soliciting sex from the victims but not to killing them he was like oh yeah i knew all of them i'd had sex with all of them but i didn't kill them one of just them didn't even live in ipswich how come on it's just so obvious so his trial <laughs> in his trial. When he was questioned about the evidence that was stacked against him, the prosecutors asked if it had been all a big coincidence, to which he replied with, it appears so, yes. And they kept asking these like, is it a coincidence that this happened? Is it a coincidence that this was theirs? Is it, is it a coincidence that your car had this? And every time he was like, it appears so, yes. He was like, it's all a coincidence. It wasn't me. The trial lasted a total of five weeks and he was convicted of all five murders and received life in prison and the judge actually placed emphasis on the conviction saying that he was of the opinion that Wright should be put away for life, never be allowed parole. One thing that really fascinates me about this case actually is the reaction of Steve's father and I'm going to let Angelica touch on that.
2: So like Bella said, We know Steve Wright never confessed to his crimes, even though it was, like, painfully obvious that he committed them. Like, so much evidence. (laughs) Uh, But about a decade after the killing stopped, his father, Conrad, very publicly pleaded for his son to admit to the murders. What? Yeah. So, this is something we don't hear a lot about, but parents are usually really affected by their children's crimes. And... What happened with Conrad really illustrates this. Their relationship is absolutely non-existent now, as in they literally have not spoken. Um, Even though Conrad did actually try to see him at one point, like he went through the process of getting into the prison and everything, and he was like sat in the room waiting for his son, and then Steve refused to see him. Um, that's weird yeah so conrad believes his son is guilty and was further convinced by like these actions because i do feel like once you commit such atrocities it's probably pretty hard to look your parents in the face definitely um especially when like that makes
1: me think that like he knows, like, Steve knows it's so obvious yeah. that he did it. But, like, he won't confess. And because he knows it's so obvious, he, like, doesn't want to lie straight to his dad's face. So he just doesn't see him.
2: Exactly. Um Conrad has said about Steve that the Steve he knew, quote, wouldn't say boo to a goat. <laughs> what? <laughs> a boo to a ghost quote he wouldn't say boo to a goose which i think the ghost (laughs) made more sense (laughs) i think it means like he wouldn't hurt a fly like that sort of thing um and i think this reflects on this like confliction that parents have to feel when their child does something that they can barely fathom which is further shown when conrad said quote you feel sort of responsible in a way You brought the boy onto the earth, and if it weren't for you, he wouldn't have been there. By the way, wouldn't
0: say boo to a goose means that he was shy. It's a way of saying someone was shy.
2: What the fuck? I didn't know that. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, I didn't know you. Okay. Well, thank you for uh, contributing that. That also makes sense. But basically, no one thought Steve would do this which we kind of reflected earlier. But yeah, so Conrad said, quote, you feel sort of responsible in a way. You brought the boy onto the earth and if it weren't for you, he wouldn't have been there. And if he weren't there, they wouldn't be killed, would they? So he put some of the blame onto himself, which is just very, like, it's hard because really his son is the only one to blame. But of course, it's like natural for people to feel that way. Um, Conrad really wants his son to confess to the murders because he really sees it as the only thing his son can do at this point, and it's something that could possibly bring further peace to the women's families. In my opinion, it's also something that he should just fucking do because I think he should be accountable for his actions, but I don't know if he'll ever do it. And I don't think Conrad is convinced either because he has an idea of how our conversation would go if he were to see his son again. And it goes like this, quote, I would ask him to tell me about it. Why? Why are you here, Steve? And knowing him, he'd probably say, well, I don't know. He would, and that would be his answer. And I'd say, well, you've murdered people. And he'd sit back and say, have I? I can't remember oh my
1: god yeah. those kind of people right just make my blood boil and
2: and like his father knows how this conversation would go because like like he said like he kept being like oh it must have been a coincidence like stuff like that it like, oh it's just is just so the red light district i don't know like he talks like an asshole his father knows it like he just he wants his son to confess Conrad also has his own theory
0: of why his son did what he did. I watched a video in which he theorizes that Steve went to have sex with the victims and then couldn't perform, which enraged him and led him to kill the victims instead. That could explain why none of them were sexually assaulted. Also, it's worth mentioning that statistically, 48 is quite old to be the first time that you murder somebody, it's the f- like serial killers tend to be a lot younger or start a lot younger. Yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of theories that he could have killed before, but there's really no evidence linking him to any other crimes. I so also- he, like he could be an outlier, but statistically, it's unlikely. Yeah, but
1: I mean, it makes sense that like all these things changed in his life. Like he moved right near the red light district. Pamela's shifts were changed, so it affected their sex life, and then he maybe tried to have sex with a sex worker and couldn't perform and like all that added up was just like you know too much for his little brain.
2: Yeah, also like Conrad has talked about how he does think there was probably just some sort of break in his son because mm-hmm. this just yeah. it's late on like it's later on in his life something had to have happened.
0: The murders of these women who worked as prostitutes in Ipswich led to changes in laws and perspectives on sex workers. Before they were seen by law enforcement as criminals, but now they are seen more as victims, which they are. The new laws criminalize the men soliciting sex rather than the women who, in many cases, are forced in some way or another to turn to prostitution, and there are more pathways to help women get out of those situations. The laws didn't just appear in Ipswich, though. They appeared nationally, which is wonderful. And there's still a lot of work to do on this front. These laws are not perfect. You know, everything didn't change and it's all hunky-dory roses now. But it took a huge step in the right direction. uh, And these these laws have done a lot of good, which is wonderful. Yeah,
1: I just wanted to mention that um, there are definitely a lot of women in in sex work who are kind of like forced into what they do, but there are also a lot of women in sex work who like what they do and they Mm -hmm. enjoy what they do and they're doing it for a reason. And that reason is because they want to, and you know, they don't really owe anyone an explanation and, and they don't want to get out of the situation that they're in. So I I appreciate the laws that are there to help people who want the help and who um, are in a situation that they don't necessarily want to be in. But um I just want to make sure that people aren't looking at all sex workers that way. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's not all the same. I'm going to end this story with a quote from Tanya Nicole's father. She was the first victim. I wasn't disappointed with her. These are daughters, not just things, not sex machines. They are human beings who went to school, who were bright, pretty, and innocent. And then they grow up into a world of drugs, evil. It's all out there to corrupt their lives. They fell into corruption. And that's it. That's the story of the Suffolk strangler and his victims. My favorite thing about researching this case was how much information there was on the victims. Like, normally when I research cases, they talk a bit about the victims, but each victim had, like, dedicated sections that, like, talked about their lives. And I think that's really wonderful because it really humanizes them, which we don't always see in these sorts of cases.
1: Yeah, a lot of times when you look up information on... Especially serial killer cases, sometimes they don't put everything into, into information about the victims because sometimes there are a lot of them. Um, but I like to focus on the victims because their life mattered a lot. Exactly. I agree. <laughs> and their stories deserve to be told.
0: Now, what really made this case so lovely in just seeing all of the information about the victims was because there is so much stigma around sex workers you would think that a case where all the victims were sex workers there wouldn't be this amount of information on them yeah so i really like that people feel for these victims and they were so humanized and you know the only person that is demonized in all of the sources that i looked at is steve and that is Absolutely, yeah, yeah, the way it should, it should be. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, on that note, I don't know what kind of note that is, but on that note, if you <laughs> want to come follow us help. on social media, we are at intl on Instagram, and we also have a Facebook group. Which, if you want to join and come talk to us about these cases, if you are English, come on there, talk to me about this case. Maybe you remember it. If you remember it, that would be really cool. If you're from Suffolk, I'm sorry. <laughs> um <laughs> that's a joke that's a joke i love suffolk i've been there a bunch i'm very familiar with it um so yeah come join our social medias come talk to us about these cases we love to interact with you if you have any suggestions for cases you'd like us to cover we do have a google form it's on or it's in our bio on our instagram so you can check it out there also if you're listening to this on apple which i know the vast majority of you are based on our statistics if you could take just five seconds to leave a five-star review that would be so wonderful and i would appreciate you endlessly we all would leaving a five-star review really helps this show get seen by more people and it takes like no time to do it uh and i'm gonna plug our patreon one more time there are at least three pieces of bonus content on there every month we would love to be able to do even more but we just need to make sure that we have some financial backing before we can afford to take the time to do that I think I'm good. I think I I think I said all the things. <laughs> I'm not a good pitch, I can't breathe.
2: Well, that's all we have today for you folks. But we hope you learned something new and we hope you enjoyed your stay here at True Crime International.